Welcome to the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. If your job involves working with or influencing people's behavior, this podcast offers invaluable insights into what makes people tick. Through personal interviews that are thoughtful and surprising, we explore the full range of the roots to people smarts that can help you make or break your own career. My name is Marie Gervais, and with a PhD in culture and learning in the workplace and my own cultural journey, I bring the mysteries of human beings at work around the world to you. Through conversations with very diverse people, examining the groups they were born into and the ones they chose to belong to, my podcast takes a deep dive into why people do what they do and how they belong. Hone your skills to manage others and to be a better human being at work with the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. And now for today's episode. Hello, Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners. Today, I would like to present to you Liz Halwage, who is a Toronto-based cybersecurity engineer and Army reservist. She earned a BSc in biochemistry and a postgraduate certificate in computer security and digital forensics, and has been a nonprofit leader in seven different organizations since the age of 19. She is a firm believer in the power of mentorship based on her own experiences and is currently working with a nonprofit cybersecurity organization as a volunteer. Liz consistently commits her time to guiding others along their professional paths. Her travels have taken her to over 15 countries and multiple places in North America, and she has recently reignited her passion for figure skating. Welcome, Liz. Thanks for having me, Marie. I'm so glad you could join me today. And I have so many questions to ask you. But the first one is to maybe introduce the audience to you a little bit as a person. Tell us, where were you born? Did you have siblings? A little bit about your past and how you ended up getting into cybersecurity. Sure. Well, it's a long story. (laughs) I was born in Toronto and currently based here, but I honestly never thought I'd be back. So as you mentioned, I studied biochem and I went to Queen's University and I was convinced that I was going to go as far as possible just because the world is so big. I moved to Vancouver to start grad school. Didn't really like it, but enjoyed the city. So I stayed there for four years. And then another job took me to Calgary for about a year. I traveled to Asia and uh, came back to Toronto just before COVID in 2019. And currently I work as a cybersecurity engineer and um, I'm a signals officer as well in the army. Mm-hmm. You must have parents and did you have siblings? A little bit about your childhood. Right. Yes. So I was born to Filipino parents. They came here in the 70s. I'm an only child and it really gave me a chance to really figure out what I liked and what I didn't like. Most people would say that only children, I guess, have the stereotype of being spoiled. But I don't really think that was the case for me perhaps in the sense that my interests were really cultivated. So on one hand, it was really hard for me to get money for like candy or clothes or um, games or anything like that. But if I was interested in like learning how to swim or um, learning how to play an instrument, budget was essentially unlimited. And I'm really mm. thankful for that. Mm. So anything educational and that would help you develop your skills and talents was okay, but things that didn't seem to go in that direction, not so good for spending from your family, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I think I've gone a little bit overboard. I'm the same way in my own life now. (laughs) Yeah. We tend to mirror the things that we saw in our families. So what were some of those skills and interests that you had that your parents were interested in, in supporting you for? One of the first things that my parents enrolled me in was swimming and skating lessons. And swimming lessons was because it was a life skill. They said that um, it's important for you to learn like how to navigate in water if you ever find yourself in a dangerous situation. And then with figure skating, 
It's uh, so that I could be assimilated into the Canadian culture. And ah. uh, I find that interesting now because I feel that half my friends don't know how to skate. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting what people think is going to help you get assimilated into the culture at the time. It can be surprisingly funny later on, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I really, really got into it. I didn't really see it as becoming Canadian, but it's just something that I really enjoyed. It felt like I was floating. It's a really great way to just focus on one thing without thinking about anything else in your life. And I flew through the levels within a couple of years. But when it came to getting private lessons or competing, I just learned recently, actually, my mom said that we didn't have enough money, but really she was just afraid that I wasn't going to concentrate on my studies. I see. So it was just a backdoor way of keeping you focused on your studies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, initially when you're just stumbling along, it doesn't feel like it. But once you get a little bit of forward movement, it does feel like you're flying and that you're one with the air. And it's just a wonderful feeling, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I don't fully understand the physics, even though people try to explain it to me, but it works. And um, so right now I'm trying to learn the axle and I've watched the Olympics many times and they make it look so effortless. They do like their quads, not just a single axle, but like double, triple. But I can tell you from my experience, it takes years to be able to just do a single axle. Well, I think they look very hard. For me, figure skating was not in the cards, but going forward and backward and going in circles was about all I could handle. And I was in complete awe of the figure skaters who could do all the fancy tricks. And I thought, wow, that is so hard. Even stopping can be hard when you're skating, <laughs> let alone doing an axle. I still remember falling a bunch of times. And um, just one day I was able to just stand on my own. It almost feels like walking. It's second nature. Hmm. But the kids who are in my club now, I'm amazed. I'm <laughs> if I had kept up, um, I would be right there along with them. Yeah. But it's something you can still do right to the end of your life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there are people of all ages there. So um, it's really nice to see like people aging gracefully as well. That's true. That's true. I was wondering a little bit about your childhood. So I often ask people, what's a moment from their childhood that stands out for them in their memory? It could be positive or negative, but it's something that you feel was formative for you and might have informed your sense of leadership and your personality and your culture. Yes. So as I mentioned, I was born in Toronto, but I grew up in a Filipino household. So I actually learned Tagalog first and I learned English in school. And I found myself kind of in between both cultures. So in the Filipino language, we have this equivalent of sir, it's po. So you essentially add that suffix when you're speaking to somebody who's older than you as a sign of respect. But because I knew how to speak both languages, English didn't have that. And essentially, I remember thinking just, why can't I be shown respect as a younger person? And I started not using that suffix, speaking to my parents. And... Um, it caused quite a bit of drama for a couple of years. And I kept at it and I said, no, like, I just don't think this makes any sense. And I'm just going to say the words because it doesn't really add any meaning to the sentence. That's interesting. It's from a young age, you were wondering about why things happened and not determined not necessarily to do it just because everybody else was doing it or exactly. because it was expected of you. Mm -hmm. And I think I've kept that sort of sense of questioning throughout my whole life. But coming back to this, my parents and I fought about this for many years, especially with my father. He's a, a bit older. And one day they, he just kind of dropped the subject and we never really fought about it again, like after the age of 10. And looking back, I feel like if this were to happen to me now, like I'm not used to speaking to them that way anymore, but I kind of see like respecting the culture and respecting the language 
I'd be open to adopting that again. Yeah. With hindsight, right? You look at it and you go, hmm, maybe they didn't feel respected as a result of that. But in the moment you're thinking, this doesn't make sense. It's an equality situation here that I want to, I want to set the scales right. It's two different sides of the same coin, really, when you think about it. Right. And in the army, so I just joined last year, whoever is an officer, you either call them sir or ma'am. So I'm a little taken aback that people call me (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. I feel like I've gone full circle. (laughs) It does seem like you've gone full circle. What about in your teen years or your young adult years? Is there a moment that stands out for you? Yes. So as a teen going into high school, at least here in Ontario, you have a default school just based on where you live. And I was looking at if I could go anywhere else because I didn't like my neighborhood and I just wanted to see what my options were. I stumbled upon an arts focused school and you have to hold an audition, learn how to play an instrument and all that. And there was also a math and science focused school that you had to write an entrance exam for. I was already pretty good at math. And I enjoyed it. I even did like after school programs just to explore my interest in math further. But when I visited the art school, I was just really intrigued by that everybody had a talent and they were wearing really nice white and red uniforms. And so I asked my parents if I could learn how to play an instrument. And it was funny because once it was time to actually audition for these schools, my parents really wanted me to go to the math and science school. And I did the entrance exam, but I failed it on purpose because when I visited the school, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel as welcoming as the other school. So I purposely failed it. (laughs) And I think they know that I did, but it kind of forced their hand to let me go to that art school. And I really enjoyed my time there. I still keep in touch with friends. I feel that bullying was not as much of a problem just because we all had to practice whatever our arts concentration was, whether it was drama or dance or music. So I'm really glad that I made that decision. I don't really think that I really knew what I was doing, but I just was kind of following my gut. Yeah, you were paying attention to your own intuition, to the beat of your own drummer, and then determined to make sure you could follow it, even though you're good at everything. What was the instrument you learned, by the way? I learned how to play the flute. The flute. And you did that well enough that you could audition in a year or less. So maybe backtrack. I was thinking about high school when I was like nine or 10. Um, The Filipino culture, I guess it depends on the family, but at least in my family, I was very focused on academics and my parents knew that like learning music was something that smart people did essentially. So it's something that they agreed to. I see. So you started thinking about that before you were there and preparing yourself for it. Yes. At the time, all the way until high school, I was essentially at the top of my class. I didn't really have trouble learning new things. I was also in gifted school in fourth grade. I just really enjoyed learning and failure wasn't really something that I really understood until after. (laughs) So (laughs) university really introduced me to the real world. Ah, that's when you realized that you might not ace everything that you tried. Right. Yeah. And I I did a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit about, I mean, you've talked about Filipino culture and you were born in Toronto, so you've picked stuff up from there. Plus you went to an art school. Those are already three different cultural influences. So when you think about those, what you were born into, what would you say has influenced you still? I mean, at the time it influenced you and you didn't know about it, but now we're thinking back on it. What's influenced you from those cultures or any others that come to mind that you were born into, that you didn't really have a choice in, in the moment? Right. Well, going back to like what my parents valued about um, learning new skills, I really took that for granted because at any one time I was enrolled in like swimming lessons, skating lessons, like math class. And I was always go, go, go. And there were times when I just wanted to stop. I just like, I want to relax. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would be a kid. 
But um, I think it's something that I've now taken into my adult life. Like I, I took up figure skating again um, during the pandemic. In the last two summers, been learning how to sail. And I've just found that it's really nice to remember what it's like to be a beginner, especially like when I restarted in my career as a cybersecurity professional. You're always learning. You're never going to know everything. And just understanding that as long as you're learning something one step at a time, you'll get better. I feel like it's really helped with my confidence. You're talking about this desire to learn and also the culture of learning and valuing learning. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Because especially as a kid, as somebody who is always doing well, I just didn't understand like if somebody teaches you something, how do you not retain that information or be able to apply that right away? Mm -hmm. But when you're constantly learning different skills, you kind of remember that everybody is a different level and it's a humbling experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that humility often comes later for people that are good at everything in the beginning. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that was one thing that stood out and stayed with you culturally. Is there anything else you can think of that might have stuck with you? There are other influences too. There's the influence of language. There's the influence of region, geography. There's religious influence. There's social class. There's also, you know, generation. Like people are born into different generations and that generation influences them as well. So what else might have influenced you that you were born into that? Well, my parents had me later in life. Most of my cousins are at least 10 years older than me. So I had the benefit of watching them grow up and kind of reflecting on, is this something that I want to do later on or would I do things differently? I felt like I was missing out because most of my friends, um, they had younger parents or they had cousins their age. So I felt like I was missing out on that social aspect. But you know, looking back as an only child, you know, I had my friends from school or my extracurricular activities. So it was nice to have that in my family where I could look up to people who were older. That's true. That's true. So you gained a kind of an understanding of people who were older and people who were same age or younger than you. Mm -hmm. So then let's go into the next part of your life. So you then chose things. I mean, you, you chose to go to the art school for sure. But what else, as you got older, did you choose that has had a cultural aspect in the sense that it's a group, you belong to it and you associate with and feel like you identify with that group? So as an adult, what cultural influences have you adopted into your life? For example, your profession is a culture as well. So, right? So cybersecurity yes. is a culture. Going to university is a culture. Being in the army is a culture. And if you've gone to other countries and stayed there long enough that you started to adopt some of the ways people did things, that's also a culture. When I got out of university and essentially didn't know what to do with my life because I really thought for many years that I was just going to be a research scientist. I really loved science in high school, did well, got the degree. And then when I went to grad school, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So essentially, I started volunteering in different organizations, and that's how I got my start in leadership. I just wanted to be a fly on the wall and see how other people were essentially in the working world. And no matter what field I was in, so first I started in um, a science nonprofit, then a political nonprofit, a few of them actually, and now I'm in cybersecurity nonprofit, I feel like the thread that connects all of them is just people who had a sense of purpose. And um, I feel like in every job that I've had, I always had to connect with the vision or the mission of the company or the organization. Otherwise, it just felt like, um, what was the point? Mm -hmm. So volunteering really was where you honed your sense of leadership and purpose. Right. Um, because it felt like it was kind of a two-way street where you're learning from people in the industry, but then you're also helping them out by running an event or helping them find their way in the venue. Hmm, yeah. Where am I going with this? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can see that. If you're helping people 
within the context of the organization to move forward in a particular field or area of interest or profession. Right. Yeah. So I was going to ask you a little bit about that. Can you think of a specific incident that stands out in your mind where you thought, well, this is it. I mean, I feel like this is fueling my sense of purpose or helping me to think about being altruistic, whatever it was that was motivating you at that time. Yes. Let's see. I remember I was at a conference in Vegas and I was still pretty young. Couldn't even drink yet. I was 20. And I was on the North American board of this organization. And I recognized one of the the sponsors and there was a big crowd around him. He was just talking, everyone was listening. And then I just came up to him and I guess I just wanted to say thank you because I made a lot of friends um, working in that organization. I felt like I learned a lot about leadership and I just wanted to thank him for sponsoring the event. And he ended up being a mentor of mine for many years, just from that one thank you. And looking back, a few of the organizations I've been part of was just from saying thank you or I'm trying to give a hand. So I guess little things can lead to big things is what I've learned over the years. Mm -hmm. I really love this saying thank you and that you're not doing it for any reason, but it leads to mentorship opportunities that you might not have had otherwise. Because people Mm -hmm. saw your character and they felt attracted to it and they thought, you know, I would like to help this young woman. Yeah, I'm really thankful for it because I really didn't know what I was doing because I was just told, do well in school, you'll get a good job and then you'll make money. It's not true. (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. But just your ability to be appreciative is pretty impressive. A young person who is so appreciative and willing to walk up to someone who is a big name and rather than being worried about what they're going to think of you, just want to make sure they feel appreciated. That would have had a big impact. If you would have come up to me and done that, I would have for sure wanted to be a part of your life. I think that's a really lovely quality that you just described. And I do have to thank my parents for that. (laughs) I'm sure other people have had this experience where it's like, what do you say when somebody does something for you? And you regurgently say thank you, but it's a really good habit to have. Definitely. It's the antidote to entitlement as well. Yes. You can't feel entitled when you're grateful. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. So we've been teasing out some of the aspects of your temperament and personality as you speak. And it seems to me that your thirst for learning is one of the things that you were probably just born with and your easy ability to learn things, not only the thirst for it, but the easy ability to learn things. And you have a certain drive that I would say is not usual for everybody in age 10, already thinking what you wanted to do to get into the school that you wanted to get into and what you would skills you would need to develop. So that would tell me something a little bit about your temperament. And the personality is what you build on as you gain experience and then overcome obstacles or don't and have difficulty with the, a particular thing and say, you know, if I had a chance to do that again, I'd do it differently. All of that's what you build on to your personality. So what would you say you were born with and what have you added on personality-wise? Well, I'd like to describe myself as a pessimistic optimist. Um, I think <laughs> I always look at things glass half empty. So I think it's mostly because I grew up without a car, like my family grew up without a car. And so the bus is frequently late. So you always have to plan ahead. What's the weather going to be like? You have to account for whether it's going to be late or early. Who are you going to run into in the bus? (laughs) All Mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. But I think also on the flip side, it's made me optimistic as well, because I know that things are never going to be perfect, but things always work out in the end. Mm. That's nice. I like it. That's a kind of a nice way of encapsulating both what you were born with and what you've grown into. Right. So let me ask you about a sense of cultural dissonance. Have you gone to a place or been in a situation where when you got there, you thought, wow, I thought things worked a certain way. And then all of a sudden I see that people do things completely differently. 
and you realized that there was cultural difference. Can you think of a, a time when you experienced that? Only because I just came from my trip in the Netherlands and Belgium. One thing that was a little bit shocking to me was that when you go to a restaurant, they don't automatically give you a glass of water while you wait and look at the menu. You always have to ask for it instead. And I just take it for granted here in Canada. And I think mostly in the US, like I'm kind of questioning myself now, but I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. You know, small little daily things are often the things that stand out most when you're traveling. My oldest son was in the Netherlands for a music opportunity when he was working as a composer. And when he was there, there was no way to find any kind of lodging that had a separate kitchen. There are no kitchen appliances at all. People would buy a hot plate and maybe a small fridge, but there was never included in the apartment. And that was a big shock for him. You go into the apartment and it's an empty room. And frequently, you didn't have your own washroom either in the apartments. You would have to use a shared washroom. And that's something he would have expected in a sort of residence at university, but not in regular apartments. So that stood out for him really significantly, although there were many other cultural surprising moments for him. That particular thing seemed such a shock. And when you said people don't give you a glass of water when you walk into the restaurant, it's funny how those little things stand out, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And as well, like I stayed in a few different Airbnbs and hotels. The door locks automatically when you close the door, whereas here in Canada and as well as in the US, you have to explicitly lock it with a key. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a conference with 20 other different nationalities and I was telling them this because they're almost European. They're like, oh, that's normal. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, how it could possibly be different in other places. Yeah, yeah. Almost everything is different in every place that you go to. It takes a while to get used to them if you're going to be living there for a while. I find it fun. Mm -hmm. It is. It's interesting learning, isn't it? Yeah, just because different things that you take for granted, you just think it's the same everywhere else. Mm -hmm. To be surprised by your own assumptions. That's mm -hmm. the fun part. So what does it take for people to bring up the best in you in a work situation? I'm most comfortable with people who are also themselves. And I'm not really a fan of hierarchy. I like when people tell me how their day is going. Um, it just helps me understand, like, for example, if something is late or you're having a bad day or you're taking care of somebody, it's just nice to have that upfront rather than having me trying to guess if it means something more when it really doesn't. So I really value transparency whenever I'm working with people. Transparency and also people being willing to respond to you and share things with you. Exactly. Sounds like from what you said. So this is your special soapbox moment. Is there something you would like to promote or that you would like the listeners to be reminded of? I don't really have a business or any particular project that I'm working on currently, but I guess if anybody has any questions about cybersecurity, reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's my main social media. Oh gosh, <laughs> I messed that up. But... No, no, that's lovely. <laughs> Actually, it just reminded me that I didn't ask you, how did you get into cybersecurity? And that was the first thing on my mind when we first started the interview. So how did you get interested in cybersecurity and how did you end up in that profession? So going back to my university days, I was really interested in how DNA works, DNA sequencing. And I forgot what paper I read, but basically made a parallel between the nucleotides and binary. So from your DNA sequencing interest, how did that lead into cybersecurity? So I learned how to code basic websites as a kid. And just hearing about that parallel made me interested in learning more about computers again. So I entered 
in a few boot camps. So I learned the basics of like Python, JavaScript, um, C Sharp, and that eventually got me interested in virtual reality. I just was really interested in what's currently pushing the boundaries in tech. And I landed a job as a marketing professional at a virtual reality company in Calgary. And I was amazed at all the data that I was collecting about people. And it would freak people out sometimes, like just how I found their personal email, let's say. And I was kind of moral dilemma. It's like, I want to do my job really well, but I also don't want to freak people out and invade their privacy. And eventually stumbled upon the cybersecurity field. I went back to school. I went to Ryerson to earn a um, postgrad certificate and just went from there. I was really interested in how people exchange data, the importance of keeping it private, how to do that. And it just led into a whole new career. Well, I think it speaks to your desire to do things in a way that's moral and ethical and that has purpose, something you'd be proud of. Thanks. I never really thought about it that way, but <laughs> thank you for putting it that way. Because in virtual reality, you can pretty much go anywhere you like, and it may or may not be helpful to people. It can lead them to all sorts of addictions and harmful behaviors. In order to make more money, they prey on people's vices, but it isn't always the ethical thing to do. But what we have a big problem with is cybersecurity, and that's where people that care about making the world a better place, I would think, would want to be. Exactly. And even when um, the internet was booming, I remember still having dial-up internet and going to random chat rooms. You never really knew who you were talking to. And sometimes I would even pretend that I was older than I was because usually you could be 13 and over before you could enter certain chat rooms. So I said, what's stopping me from just saying I'm 13, even though I'm not? <laughs> Yeah, nothing but your own conscience over time. And that only happens when you've made a few jumps into that direction and say, you know what, I don't think I want to go any further down that particular rabbit hole. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's been really interesting to speak with you, Liz, and I so appreciate you spending this time on the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Marie. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with Liz Halwage about her interesting life and career choices and to hear about how her Filipino cultural influences and personal drive to question and challenge came together later in life. I enjoyed her ability to succinctly respond to my questions without feeling the need to fill up the space and her fresh outlook towards everything learnable from math to flute, cybersecurity, travel and figure skating. Nothing lacks interest to Liz, and she pursues her interests with passion. Here are some culture and leadership tips I picked up from Liz's interview, which may be helpful to you too. Number one, drive and determination combined with insight will help you forge your own path forward, no matter how young you are. Number two, it is possible to come full circle from a belief in equal access to respect to a desire to respect traditional values without compromising who you are. And number three, sincere appreciation can be an unexpected route to mentorship and career opportunities. Remember to subscribe, share, and review the podcast, which brings new listeners and guests to the conversation. Thank you for listening, and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day. Newsflash! Listeners can now interact with Culture and Leadership Connections podcast by leaving a voice or text message on Fan List. It is a fun and quick way to let me know what you liked, ask a question, or leave a suggestion. I will feature some of the voice messages on upcoming episodes. You might be surprised to hear your own voice, but only if you leave a message, of course. So to leave your personal message or your question, go to shiftworkplace.com slash podcast and click on the fan list link to leave it. I can hardly wait to hear what you have to say.